1: This is Mike Sasso today, filling in for Pastor Chris, who is in the Philippines. She's training both youth and leaders now how to yield to the Holy Ghost of God. And she's asked me to teach this time on the topic of sonship, which is a big topic for us, as our ministry is called, Sons of God International. And, of course, Romans 8:14 is the foundation scripture for that. Back at verse 13, it says, If you live after the flesh, you'll die. But if through the Spirit, the Holy Ghost of God, you mortify the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, the same they are the sons of God. We literally are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. We're going to get into this teaching in detail here in a moment. But the Holy Spirit, as I was preparing for this message, told me there were a few housekeeping issues that I needed to deal with. And when I talk about household issues, we're talking about the household of faith, meaning there's some issues in the house that need to be straightened up. Because there are many in the body that would judge a person based upon gender, meaning they'd limit their ability to minister or to preach or to teach based upon, you know, whether they're a man or whether they're a woman. And quite candidly, the Holy Spirit called me and directed me to address this issue. And I will just say that, you know, you've been mistaught, if you believe that. Don't leave me now. Hang on with me. Don't lose me. Stay with me and hear me out. And some of you, I know, have been taught to put a woman in subjection, that a man is to rule over a woman, as was spoken in Genesis chapter 3, where God said to the woman, now the man is going to rule over you. And that issue really was a heart issue in the heart of Adam that God saw he didn't decree that as his will. He literally saw in the heart of man where man was blaming the woman for what took place. He did not take responsibility for his own actions. And so he was holding Eve responsible. And if you look at that verse, Adam's reply to God was this woman that you gave me. He didn't repent. And so God saw that unforgiveness in the heart of man and basically made a statement. And the statement was, now he will rule over you, because he was holding her responsible. Just as when you hold someone responsible for something that hurts you, you keep a distance. You're not going to let that person do that to you again. Well, that's what Adam was doing to Eve from that moment. So that's part of the curse. And Jesus came to break that curse, to destroy that curse, and to restore us back to a relationship that we had with God prior to the fall. And prior to the fall, men and women were equal in the eyes of God. They were one flesh. Literally, when God said to Adam, Adam, they had the same name. And they literally turned around and answered to one name, and their name was Adam. Adam named Eve. God didn't name Eve. Adam named Eve after the fall. And I want to go into the two scriptures that have been misinterpreted, misunderstood. The gospel liberates. It sets people free so that they can freely do what God has called us to do as men and as women. If God calls you to preach, go preach. If God calls you to teach, go teach. If God calls you to lay hands on the sick, lay hands on the sick. And it's the power of God in you and through you that does the work, regardless of your gender. And if you go cast the devil out of somebody, the devil's not going to ask, well, are you a woman or are you a man? (laughs) No, he's not. He's going to get out if you're full of the Holy Ghost. And you can be a man and you can talk and try to get the devil cast out, but if it ain't the Holy Ghost doing the work, the devil ain't going. But there's two places in the New Testament the church has taken out of context in Paul's writings. And they've used them to limit in the minds of some the positions, authority, or power that a woman might have in the body of Christ. So let's look at them in sequential order. The first takes place in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 34 and 35 where it says and I'll quote from the King James, "Let your women keep silence in the church; for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also the law says. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home; for it is a shame" for women to teach or speak in the church now people have used this scripture far too long to say that paul was clearly saying that women need to sit down and shut up and sadly i've seen this happen in churches where a couple who was called to lead a ministry and they worked together and were led by the holy ghost and as the ministry grew they began to get the attention of other ministries and the man then began to listen to other ministries men who taught that women hey need to be in subjection and they need to step aside and you need to take the headship here or this ministry's out of order and when they yielded to this what i will call false doctrine what happened literally is the anointing and the power of the spirit left the church and all they had left now was the programs that they received from men And an occasional move, okay, of the Holy Ghost, because God will still move, but not the way He would like, unless you completely yield to the Holy Ghost. And rather than supernatural power, they had occasional moves, rather than the supernatural power that birthed the ministry in the first place. So don't do that. Allow the Holy Spirit to be your teacher and to be your guide. And again, this is not my message, but this is a housekeeping issue that the Lord said I have to address in order for you to get the full message of what God has for us today. So stay with me. I'm going to get into the scripture more. So what is Paul saying here in 1 Corinthians? Understand first that this was a letter from Paul to the church in Corinth that he founded. And the church in Corinth had issues specific to that region where they lived. And Paul was writing to address these issues to bring order and direction. And you can see this in the beginning of the book, in chapter 1, verse 10, where Paul writes, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Verse 11, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. There were contentions. There were strife, wranglings that were bringing divisions and even confusion. Some were moral issues, as well as other specific issues. And Paul, throughout the book, as he moves forward, addresses these issues for the church to prosper. And two chapters before this notorious silencing of women claim, Paul speaks about spiritual gifts and about walking in love and makes it clear in verse 7 of chapter 12, and I'll read, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Every man every everyone, men and women. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to all, both men and women to profit the entire body. Then as you go on in verse 11 of the same chapter, he says, But all these that work, the self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. Again, the Spirit is divided severally as God wills. God is the one that appoints. God is the one that anoints. And not based upon your gender, God is no respecter of person. So if we keep reading... In chapter 14, Paul gets to the specifics of tongues and interpretation and prophecy. And in verse 5, he says the following, I would that you all speak with tongues, and rather that you all prophesy, is what he's saying. I wish that all of you, men and women, would do this. And he goes on, For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks in tongue, except he interpret, that the church may receive edifying, that the entire body of Christ in that assembly would receive edifying as you all, men and women, speak in tongues, and as all of you, men and women, prophesy. So Paul here is admonishing both men and women to speak with tongues and prophesy that the church would be built up. And so we, as we continue reading, we come to verse 3, which is just before the verse that is used to subjugate women because they misinterpret Paul, they misunderstand this. Okay, and specifically, Paul says in verse 31, for you may all prophesy again, all of you, one by one, that all may learn. That's men and women can prophesy and men and women can learn and all may be comforted and men and women can be comforted. Why? Because the Holy Ghost is doing the talking. And this, by the way, is in the church and not at home where women are supposed to ask their husbands. Paul is instructing, you can all prophesy, you can all speak in tongues, that all may be comforted and all may be instructed in the church. And as we continue in verse 32, it says, And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And now to the very text, to the next verse, where Paul will give us insight about this quote that takes place. For he says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in the churches. Paul is literally dealing with an issue that was causing contention and confusion, which he alluded to in chapter 1, which I read earlier. And so Paul, who then says in the next verse that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And in the next verse, he quotes what's bringing confusion. Which says, let your women keep silence in the church, for it is not permitted for them to speak. But they are all commanded to be under obedience, as also the law says. And I would just ask you, what law says that? Stop for a minute and ponder, what law is it that Paul was quoting here or referring to that was bringing contention and that was causing confusion that is commanding women to be quiet? when in the previous chapters, Paul was telling them all to speak in tongues and all to prophesy. Paul was quoting a phrase taught in some of the law that was subjecting women, and it's not the law of Moses, but rather it is in the Jewish traditions of men written in the Talmud. And Jesus had to deal with the same issue with the Pharisees and the Sadducees when he said in Matthew chapter 7, As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be it in vain do you worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And Paul was doing the same thing. He was dealing with commandments of men that were bringing confusion. And Jesus went on and saying, laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the traditions of men, like the washing of pots and cups and many other such things. So these same Pharisees, The same religious spirits that were controlling men in the days of Jesus were trying to weasel their way into the church and teaching doctrines of men, traditions of men, to subjugate women. When Paul had already been very clearly speaking that you can all prophesy, you can all teach, the gospel is a liberating gospel. God is no respecter of person. And so he caps this rebuke of this doctrine in verse 36, where he says, "What?" Did the word of God come out from you, meaning from your traditions, or came it to you only? And then he challenged them in verse 37, where he said, But if any man thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you. And let me just clarify, this entire book is a letter written to the Corinthian church. And Paul is saying, if you want to acknowledge that you're spiritual or a prophet. You better acknowledge that the last 13 chapters are from God and they are commandments of the Lord that you can all teach, you can all preach. And then he goes on and finalizes his rebuke. In verse 38, he says, But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Paul called them ignorant if they're going to embrace that it's a shame for a woman to teach. And candidly, if you believe that, God will honor a man over a woman just because of their gender. I'm going to say it. You too are ignorant. And you need to repent. So God is no respecter of person. And uh, that's a housekeeping issue I had to deal with. So bear with me. That's one mountain moved that the devil has used far too long to bring confusion to the body of Christ. And this is the second. And I don't have time right now to go into detail on this next scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, where it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, she must be silent again that is written to the ephesian church to ephesus and there were specific issues in the church in ephesus that were needing to be dealt with and by the way that doctrine the doctrine of artemis the the goddess diana basically put women over men and taught that women were superior to men and so paul was dealing with this issue of the local church and i don't have time right now to go into this we're going to miss the main message but I want to encourage you, if you want to know more about this, Joshua, our son, dealt with this in great detail in podcast number 378 on sonship and women in the church. The entire podcast is about this particular scripture and what was happening in Ephesus. And so if there's an issue here where you're believing what Paul was saying in First Timothy is to bind women and to tell them to sit down and shut up, that is not what Paul was saying. He was dealing with that doctrine in Ephesus to pull that doctrine down. So if you want to get the full explanation of that scripture in Timothy, Joshua went in great detail and you can go to SOGMI dot org, our website, and go to teachings, hit the teachings tab, and then there will be a section for podcasts, and you can find podcast number three seven eight. And it's on sonship and women in the church. It'll be a great, great blessing to you. I don't have time to do it here today. And so we have to get these confusing doctrines out of the way. And let's walk in the love of God and the power of the Holy Ghost, okay? That will help you. So it's imperative for the body of Christ to understand the authority. The authority that has been given to us, the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. He told his disciples, it is needful for me to go up way. I have to go. Peter tried to stop him. He said, get behind me, devil. I have to finish my work. Jesus had to finish his work, go to the cross, die, be buried three days, and be risen from the dead, and defeat death, hell, and the grave. And he said, unless I go, the Holy Spirit will not come. The Bible says that he now has taken his seat at the right hand of God. That's Psalm 110, verse 1. Sit thou down at my right hand until I make your enemies into the footstool for your feet. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth now expecting the NIV translation says, in eager expectation. He is eagerly waiting until his enemies be made into his footstool. And I'm here to tell you, then he's coming back. He's not going to get off that throne, glory to God, until his enemies are made into his footstool. And I'm here to tell you, that is the job of the church. We allowed the Bible to be taken out of our schools. We allowed prayer to be taken out of our schools. We allowed abortion to be the law of the land because a demonic doctrine had been taught of the church that we're going to leave and we just have to go and the devil's going to make it worse and worse and we're leaving. Let me give you a revelation. We're not leaving until the enemies of God have been made into a footstool for his feet. Isaiah chapter 2 says that the mountain of the Lord's house in the last day, the church, the mountain of God's house, will be established above every other mountain. So this is the message, and I want us to understand the sons of God are those that are led by the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, to go into all the world and preach this gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and commanding them to do everything Jesus taught us to do. And in John chapter 1, verse 12, Jesus said this. He says, But as many as receive him, that's anybody that gets born again, to them he gives the power to become a son of God even to them that believe on his name. You have the power to become a son of God. And the power, the word for power here is the word exousia, which is literally the power to choose. It's not automatic. It's a choice. You are given the ability to make a choice to yield your members to the Holy Ghost, to yield your will to the will of God, to yield your life in everything, and to be led by the Spirit of God, Romans eight fourteen so that you can do the works of Jesus. Jesus said, I do nothing unless I hear it from my Father. I go nowhere unless my Father sends me. I don't say anything unless my Father tells me what to say. We have to be followers of Jesus Christ. So let's mature, church. Now, there's one other issue I want to address here. A few weeks ago, Pastor Chris instructed the body to begin to pray daily for our nation's executive branch, our nation's legislative branch and our nation's judicial branch, and to pray in the Spirit, and then to allow the Holy Spirit to direct our prayers. And as we pray, I encourage you to pray with us in the Spirit over our nation. And now I want to share with you what the Holy Ghost told me as I was preparing for this broadcast. While praying over our judicial system, following these instructions uh, over the branches of government, I asked the Lord, Why, Lord, is it taking so long for justice to be served on all the abuses of power that have been uncovered from previous administrations and within the deep state? You know, where members of high offices and government officials in various capacities have violated federal law. And yet, to this day, no one in the federal government has faced the consequences of these violations. And candidly, our nation was founded upon principles of equal justice under the law. This was clearly established as a founding principle of our documents. In fact, you see the Statue of Lady Liberty in front of our nation's highest court, blindfolded holding the scales of justice blindfolded in her hands so that she doesn't look at the stature or status of an individual being tried, but rather at the weight of the evidence that is presented to tip the scales in either direction. So I inquired of the Lord, what is stopping the scales of justice from being balanced freely? And I saw it clearly. The Lord showed me that the body of Christ is holding justice back because their heart is not right before the Lord when it comes to the punishment of the wicked. And let me be clear. God's will is that all men be saved, and we the church are the salt of the earth. We are the preserving power, but if the salt has lost its savor, what good is it? Our first mission is the great commission to seek and save the lost. That is our first mission. Before I'm an American, I'm a Christian, and I have to answer to Jesus Christ. So my first mission is that all men be saved. In First Timothy chapter 2, it says, Who wills that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, even if you don't like them and even if you don't agree with them. So it is the people of God that have not listened or followed the ways of God. And the Lord said, My people do not have my heart when it comes to the lost and sinners, but rather want to see judgment and speak evil of individuals rather than standing in the gap and interceding for them as the Lord Jesus is standing in the gap and interceding for us. They want them punished. They want them to suffer the consequences of their crimes. My people have gloated. My people have scoffed and called them names. They've condemned them. They've ridiculed them. And they've passed judgment rather than taking their seat with me to stand in the gap and intercede for their souls, the souls of individuals. And the lord says it grieves my heart and now i have a clear picture of why god's hand has been so slow because god is more interested that the body of christ reflect the person and the nature of jesus christ than anything he wants us to reflect Jesus' love to the world so let's look at the heart of god ezekiel chapter 18 verse 23 says the following have i any pleasure at all that the wicked should die says the Lord, and not that he should return and live. In verse 23, it says, Do you think that I like to see the wicked die, says the Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. This is the heart of God. I want to read this in the NLT. It says, As surely as I live, saith the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn from your wickedness, O people. Israel, why should you die? And this has to be our heart. And pay attention and write this down if you must. And remember, remember this. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17 says the following. Rejoice not when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord will see it and it displeases him and he turn away his wrath from him. God wants every individual to be saved. And if we begin to rejoice at the wicked when they are judged, it will not please the heart of God. Instead, let us pray that their hearts be changed. And as the justice system and justice is rendered, let our prayer be, Lord, let this be the thing that will finally get their attention so they will truly repent. In other words, that they be judged in the earth so their heart can be changed and they can be saved. That this hand of the law, the long arm of the law will be rendered so that their hearts can be changed and they can turn to Christ and get saved. You know, years ago, also in Psalms 37, the Lord told me to work up verse one, the word fret, fret not because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass. The word for fret is not fear. But it's literally, do not. the word is kara, which means not to be hot or furious or to burn with anger against your enemy. And sadly, that is what many in the body of Christ have done. We've burned with anger against those that don't agree with us on various issues. That is not the heart of God. We have to love our enemies. We have to pray for those that persecute us. And if we understand this, now we can understand Second Chronicles 7.14 more clearly. If my people called by my name. That's the body of Christ will humble themselves. We have to humble ourselves and pray and seek the face of God on behalf of nations and turn from our own evil. Then God says, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I, God, will heal their land. So let's get this right. Jesus did not come into the world, condemn it, but that through him the world might be saved So let's grow up. Let's be about the Father's business, and let's pray for our nation, pray for the leadership, pray for our government, pray for all three branches of government, and pray for the lost. Thank you for tuning in. You can find out more information at SOGMI.org.
0: Thank you for listening. We all hope you were blessed by this message today. If you were, let us hear from you. If you wish to contact us or sow a seed, Our phone number is 210-396-7891. And for Saturday's program, call us at 210-695-1630. Send all emails to sonsofgod at satx.rr.com and all letters to P.O. Box 1579, Lotus, Texas 78023.